tuhia ki te rangi, tuhia ki te whenua, tuhia ki te ngākau ngā tangata katoa, ko te mea nui, ko te aroha, tihei, mauri ora. Tuatahi ake ki tō tātou tokotoru tapu, te matua, te tama, me te wairua tapu. E mihi ana, kia kotou. Tuarua, ki ngā mate, kua whetirangitia ki te pō, haere, haere, haere atu rā. Ki ngā whānau pani, māte atua koutou e manaki e korawaitia. Tuatoru, tau mai te rire ki rungi i te whare kāhuiari ki oti rā, ki a kingitū heitia, rire, rire hau, paimā rire. E ngā waiwai tapu o Central Vineyard, nō ku te whiwhi hei tuwhera te kaupapa korero mō te rā nei, ko Aaron Hardy tōku ingoa. Central Vineyard, it is my delight and honour to be sharing with you all this morning. I was so looking forward to being with you all in person, however, here we are again in lockdown. Uncertainty is such an annoying companion. It doesn't let you relax, keeps you on your toes and is notorious for introducing us to its mate, anxiety. However, the one good thing about uncertainty is that uncertainty opens the door to honesty. Enough uncertainty paves the way for desperate honesty to break through our emotional castles that we have built and propel us into a glimmer of hope. Today I want to talk about honesty in the form of lament, so come with me. The definition of lament, according to the Oxford Dictionary, is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. However, lament is unique to the Christian because it is not just grief and sorrow, it is grief and sorrow expressed to God. Lament, mortetia, sorrow, feature so heavily in scripture, but just not on Sundays. Why is that? Why has pain become incompatible with the postmodern church? When did the church start thinking about the cross as a way to escape pain instead of moving through it? I digress. There is an entire book that's devoted to lament called Lamentations. Let's unpack briefly what we see in Lamentations. Here is the context. The author, most probably Jeremiah the prophet, is reflecting back on the Babylonian siege of Jerusalem, which was the worst catastrophe in Israel's history at this point. 500 years of independence. Then, in 587 BC, the city fell. Jerusalem went from freedom to slavery, poverty and colonization. They were broken, devastated. Lamentations has five parts to it. The first four chapters are structured as an acrostic poem. The poems are very organized, which sits in direct contrast to the disorder of the pain and the confused grief that the people were facing. The author is left trying to express the inexpressible in regards to pain. The grief is contained in the poetic structures of the first four chapters, but like a balloon that gets bigger and bigger and bigger and then pops, the grief shatters the structure in chapter five. Here's a brief overview of the chapters. Poem one, Lady Zion's grief and shame. Israel's destruction is expressed in the grief metaphored by Lady Zion, a reflection of psychological pain. Two, the fall of Jerusalem and God's wrath. A better way of understanding the terrifying term of divine wrath is God's justice. God is slow to anger, but he eventually does get angry with human evil and he brings justice as a result. God's wrath, justice, is justified. Even though Israel's punishment is justified, it does not stop the writer for asking for mercy. Three, the suffering one. Metaphor of a lonely man, laments from Job, Psalms and Isaiah are used here. The author sees the suffering of Israel as justified. However, 
Because of what he sees in the other laments, he has hope. He writes the only hopeful segment of this chapter in 3.22. Because of the Lord's covenant, faithfulness we do not perish. His mercies never fail, they are new every morning. How great is your faithfulness, O God, so I say to myself. The Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will put my hope in Him. Then it goes back to doom and gloom. (laughs) Because God is consistent with His justice towards human evil, He will also be consistent to fulfill His promises, to not allow evil to have the final word. God's judgment is the seabed of hope. Four, the siege of Jerusalem. Here the author is contrasting the experience of Israel before and after the siege. He is exploring the depth of suffering. 5. Communal prayer for God's mercy. The order and structure is gone here. They ask God not to forget them. God's people are not asked to deny their emotions, but voice their protest and hardship. And the book ends with a paradox. O Lord, you reign as king forever. Why do you forget and forsake us? In the final line, unless you've totally rejected us. There is no neat conclusion offered. So what is lament then? It is a form of protest, a way of processing emotion and a way to voice confusion. Suffering draws us to ask questions about God's character and promises. Lament gives us the permission to ask those questions. Lament gives sacred dignity to human suffering. Human words of grief have become God's words to his people. So where does lament fit in our world today? Around the middle of the year, Māori celebrate Matariki, the beginning of the new year. The Matariki star signifies a gathering of people, a time of reflection and of hope. It is a time, however, that is immediately followed by the Pohutikawa star, which signifies a time to mourn and grieve. The year for Māori kicks off by remembering who has been lost, by reflecting on pain and challenge as to beckon the new dawn in. Whenever patterns and rhythms are embodied in creation and across multiple cultures and haven't been swallowed up by dominant cultural colonisation, it's a tohu, a sign, a reminder, a flashing red stop sign as if to say this is important. God's design is resistance to the lie of progress. Lament has been written into the fabric of many cultures throughout the world. In Israel, they celebrate an event called the Three Weeks or Bain Ha Metzachim. Don't know if I'm saying that right. Between the Straits, that's what it's called. It is a period of mourning commemorating the destruction of the first and second Jewish temples. They also include in this period of time many of the other painful parts of their history. Interestingly, this period of time is about old pain, but they have set aside a year worth of process for personal tragedy and death. In Waikato, Tainui have the same practice whereby if someone in your immediate whānau passes away, you are relieved from your duties so as to process your grief properly for the entire year. A good friend of mine was leading our youth group a number of years ago. Tragically and unexpectedly, his father passed away. After going to the tangi and having some leave, he came back to work, but he just was not the same. He wasn't doing the same job he'd been doing prior, and I found myself getting frustrated at him. I thought, bro, you've had three to four weeks off, it's time to move on. My, my Eurocentric perception of grief was totally disconnected from lament. In any theology around suffering, I viewed grief like a tap that you could turn on for a few weeks, but then turn off in order to get back into life. My naivety, cultural arrogance, and theologically flawed thinking was evident. God desired to show humanity that he valued their honesty. 
Lamentations exists to embody that desire. When we read Lamentations, it can feel like God is depicted as a monster. But God doesn't run from the depiction. He is okay with being called a monster and any other name you can think of because it results in honesty. Listen to this. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding. He dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughing stock of all my people. They mocked me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gold to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. It's a rough read. And yet God doesn't jump to his defense. He allows the expression of pain. Last year amidst burnout, I sat with a spiritual director in Sumner Christchurch. I was sitting in a beautiful Anglican retreat that sat above the sea. We sat there for a while making meaningless chit chat and he turned to me and asked me this question. What do you think your parents want from you? I thought about it for a while and responded. I think it's the wrong question. It should be, what do they deserve from me? I didn't understand why he was asking me about them. I had a great relationship with them. I never felt pressured or unhealthily pushed. He responded, but you can never give them what they deserve, which means you will always be failing. I thought about it for a while. I responded, I guess that's true. He then responded, I asked you this because this is how you see God. You want to give God what he deserves, but you can't. Can I tell you something as a dad? What I need from my kids is their time and their honesty. Maybe that's what God needs from you. And that's something you can give. The revelation of this moment was beyond words for me. All this time, all this time, all this time, I had been trying to give God what he deserved, living as a perpetual failure, but all he wanted was time and honesty. The relief was palpable. Henry Nouwen says that our pain is where we feel most alone and most misunderstood. When relational honesty meets pain, hope knocks on the door. Honesty liberates. See, when faith becomes a series of things you should and shouldn't do and say, it lacks honesty. And honesty is the bedrock of relationship. Lament says, here I am. Whereas talking to God and saying the things you think He deserves and wants to care is like giving someone your Facebook page and saying, this is all of me. It's false. If my Facebook page was all of me, it would include updates of arguments I had with my wife, selfies from when I just woke up, and a picture of my bad parenting as my three-year-old watches my phone. Lament is so profound because of this. Lament says, here is my grief, my pain, anger, emotion, protest, and everything else I feel so truly deep within me. This is me, Aneho. God is more able to work in the heart of a lamenter than a pretender. Psalm 56 8 says, You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Your pain is precious to God. Honesty from us to God also paves the way for honesty back to us from God. In the midst of our, why would you do this? And where even are you? And I don't know if I can trust you anymore type responses. God sits and listens and waits.
when we are ready, His honesty comes back towards us. Sometimes His honesty is painful, confronting and uncomfortable, but it is always liberating and it always leaves us feeling known. You can't be in a relationship with a perfect and majestic God without at times just from being in His presence, being back on your knees saying, I'm sorry, Lord, your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. You are God. Forgive me for not trusting you. Lament allows us to feel, talk and think unfiltered so that he can enter in and begin to filter on our behalf. And repentance is an indication that the disordered chaos of grief is beginning to heal. Here is what Richard Raw says about repentance. Only converted people who are in union with both the pain of the world and the love of God are prepared to read the Bible. With the right pair of eyes and the appropriate bias, which is from the side of powerlessness and suffering, instead of the side of power and control. This is foundational and essential conversion. The Greek word metanoia, poorly translated as repent in the Bible, quite literally means to change your mind. Until the mind changes the very way it processes the moment, nothing changes long term. Be transformed by a renewal of your mind, Paul says, which hopefully will allow the heart to follow soon. Lament may be the most futuristically hopeful thing we can ever do. Without lament, grief builds a fire from our life, locks the door and never lets us heal. Lament invites God into the pain and asks Him to share the moment and moments with you. Lament leads to joy. Lament is a heavy load, an important load, but a heavy one. We can't carry it forever and at some point we have to give it over. I'm not talking about forgetting, I'm talking about trusting. When we trust God with our protest, our emotions, our grief, it becomes communal, relational, shared. The people that we trust in the church the most are those that have scars and are still running the race. Why? You've all heard the saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I think it's rubbish. Our world is profoundly damaged by trauma, pain and tragedy. We are lacking in resilience and are emotionally broken as we are so unsure what to do with our mess. But the damaged soul that enters into lament, into relationship with the Father and into relationship with other believers in the pursuit of worshipping in spirit and in truth, truly lives in the abundant life God promises. Suffering damages the soul, but lament transforms suffering into glory, altering the trajectory of our lives forever. Psalm 30, 11 to 12 says, You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. When Jesus died on the cross, he was resurrected three days later. Who resurrected him? Did he do it himself? No. It says that God resurrected him. Take your pain and trust that when you lay it at the feet of the cross, it will be held like a precious gem, a beautiful treasure, an immeasurable gift. And then it will be resurrected and given new life. You might feel it deeply still, but God is in the business of transforming that which takes into that which gives. Your pain and your brokenness when submitted to God and given over in lament is what makes you a good gift to a broken world around you. Revelation 21 4 says He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away let me just pray for you all kia orangi a koe te ariki kia tawharautia kia fiti a koe tanamata ho kia tawhaitia kia roa tu te ariki kia koe kia tau te rangi maari e hoho te rongo tau mai te mauri haumia hui e tai ki e 
May you be blessed by the Lord and protected. May you be enlightened by His countenance and held in His kindness. May the Lord attend to you so that you find peace. Peace to come, living essence, settle upon us. Let it be done in agreement. we say, come. Let me just pray briefly as well on top of the notes that I have. God, for any person that is struggling in grief in this moment, Lord, that has a lament, a protest, is feeling in despair about a marriage gone south, about a business that hasn't worked or is crumbling under COVID pressures, or has lost someone really dear and has just not been able to grieve that properly, I pray, God, would you surround them with your peace, draw close to the suffering soul, breathe your life. Amen.